Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Tara Humphrey. I run an award-winning healthcare consultancy specialising in supporting primary care networks. I'm a facilitator. I am a mum of three. I have an MBA and I would class myself as a bit of an adventurer. And I absolutely love all things business, all things leadership, all things management. So I created this podcast for clinical and non-clinical colleagues working in the field of health and care and for those of you looking to develop your leadership skills. Every week we release an episode which focuses on the hard and soft skills required to lead in this increasingly complex environment as we move to delivering more integrated care. So let's jump into this week's episode. Hi Mohan, thank you so much for joining me. Um, yeah, on this, re- it's a sweltering hot day, isn't it? Yeah, thank you for having me. And it's really, really hot. But yeah, you know, we only get summer once once a year and let's enjoy it. But yeah, yeah. no, really pleased to be here and really help, grateful to be speaking to you. My pleasure. So the reason why I wanted you on is because you have done a tremendous amount of work around social prescribing in Merton. And I think there's lots that other primary care networks and other networks in general that are looking to recruit to a similar role uh, could learn from. So could you give us a little bit of background to who you are and what you do? Cool. So I'm Mohan Seacram. I'm a GP in East of Merton. I'm also the clinical lead for social prescribing for Merton and Wandsworth Boroughs, as well as the Royal College GP clinical lead for person-centred care. So now social prescribing sits underneath person-centred care, which has five enablers. So the five enablers are shared decision-making, self-supported management, social prescribing, personal health budgets. And so all those enablers together can help support a person get choice for what matters to them. So I'm I'm, I'm that lead for for the Royal College uh, in London. Why does there need to be a dedicated lead for person-centred care? Yeah, good question. So I think it's um, around educating or reminding clinicians about what really matters to patients and individuals. We often talk about, we often talk to patients and we go, what's the matter with you? Uh, And we should really be talking about what matters to you. And, And I think if we can start our conversation there, then I think we can then identify where we're going to get the best result for our patient for which will then inevitably be the best result for clinician and then healthcare and, and, the, and the wider system as well. And we often forget about those really important decisions which only a, a patient can make and they get guided by the clinicians in front of them. So, so I think that the lead is to try and remind people um, and to, to talk about actually these are these other offers which help support an individual's journey. We know that 90% of health is actually affected by socioeconomic factors. And so why medicalise all these problems when in fact actually you need a non-medical solution um, and therefore getting to the root cause of the issue by being person-centred will help us get the right outcome. Would you say that that approach is similar to lifestyle medicine? I think it, I think it certainly aligns with lifestyle medicine. So lifestyle is looking at you know how you choose to to, to live your life, um, and and again your body is the temple, as it well. Your body is yourself, and actually if you look after yourself, then 
it'll look after you. And, and I think if you follow some simple um, strategies, so making sure you sleep well, um, you eat well, uh, you exercise well, you connect, um, and all these basic features which actually we take for granted and we're social animals and we're like all the other animals on this planet. Uh, and if we don't have enough of these individual elements, then we will start, it will start impacting our health and well-being. So it's really, really important that we look after our lifestyle. Um, and if we don't get enough of connecting, or we don't sleep well or, or we don't eat well, then actually those result, what results is, is a physical symptom. And that physical symptom is not a medical symptom, but actually a, a product of not looking after our body. So it's really important that we don't medicalize these problems and actually look after our lifestyle um, and, and actually support individuals who may not be aware of that being the, the underlying cause. So I, there's certainly similarities of the two. Um, I think patients who have long-term conditions as well also need to have choice about what matters to them. I think even though they have a long-term condition, we don't necessarily need to medicalise it with, with all these medications and investigations. They can still live their life how they choose to do it and, and live their life with their condition and not have their condition living their life, if, if you see what I mean. So, so I think it, there are certainly some big similarities between lifestyle medicine and person-centred care. Do you ever get the sense that when patients come to you, are they looking to, are they looking for medicine? Because when you talk about like, and when you're saying it, I'm like, Tari, you know better, you know this stuff, like, my sleep is terrible, it's absolutely terrible. I know that I would be a better person if I slept better, if I ate better. It's like, and I go to the doctor when I'm not very well, and I'm thinking, just give me the tablet so I feel better. Um, and if my doctor said to me, Tari, you sleeping, you know, how are you sleeping? I think, oh, I think I just think, oh, and walk out. Like I know, <laughs> I know that I'm not like, I think we go to, or some people go to the doctor because maybe we, we think that you're going to fix us. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely correct. And that's unfortunately a medical model, isn't it? And, and I think patients will often have something wrong with them or they'll feel unwell and they'll go, oh, I need to go and see the GP or I need to go and see a, a doctor. They'll fix me. And so that expectation before they enter the room is I'm going to walk away with a pill or an investigation or a test. And if I don't, I, I'm angry. The GP's not very good or um, that was a waste of my time. And, and the same expectation may also fall on the GP as well. So they've got 10 minutes. They're with patient X or patient Tara. Um, and, and they're trying to sort of decide, you know, how should we navigate the best, course of action for you and and you can tell in that consultation it's like when you go to a shop you can kind of tell that there's a transaction happening and actually um you, you can tell by the body language that the patient's expecting something and if you don't you feel like you're you, you collude with the patient in, in giving them what you what the perceived need is um and it takes time it takes relations it takes you know uh, over time you, you build those relationships and then you really identify what really matters to an individual and actually it's some of those social issues which really are the root cause issue um, and that's why general practice is, is great you, you spent you have time you have years I've been a GP for 12 years in east of Merton and so I've, I've built some really big relationships and I, I know what connects families and their partners and their jobs and so I can really know what the underlying problem is um, being a GP you can endorse other types of investigations or you know social prescribing or exercise and sleep uh, and you can really listen to what matters to an individual. So when you say alternatives, so I suppose that's where we come to social prescribing. What is social prescribing? 
Yeah, good. So lots of factors affect health and well-being. So some of those factors are social factors, so things like uh, exercise, employment, education, isolation, loneliness. And, and if we don't sort those social issues, then people start getting physical symptoms. And that's when they may start entering general practice or starting to see a, a doctor. Now, if we medicalise those physical symptoms, then we've, off, we've given them the wrong treatment. Um, and then we've not addressed the root line cause issue, which is the loneliness or the social isolation. So what a social prescriber does, uh, they work at the practice and they're embedded into primary care. Um, as a GP, I can say, look, your problems aren't related to medicine. Um, I don't want to give you a pill. I think you should spend time, more than 10 minutes, with this link worker or social prescriber who can spend an hour with you. And they'll sit down with you for up to an hour talking about what some of these non-medical problems are. And often that non-medical solution is a non-medical option which lies in the community so you can kind of then suddenly see that you're you're moving away from that medical model and you're sitting down addressing these social issues you know the wider terms of health and actually if, if you can start tackling those in the right place then you can start having a, a nice knock-on effect to all the health and well-being of these individuals uh, and you'll find with time as we found in Merton that if you start getting these people socially prescribed that actually they then start realize they don't have these medical physical symptoms and they stop reattending back in the GP practice um, and we found a reduction uh, in 33 uh, percent of, of patients coming back to see their GP after a social prescribing intervention uh, we also saw a reduction of 50 percent of patients attending A&E and we also saw an improvement of well-being scores by 80 percent so these are massive these, these these figures really do showcase the benefits of social prescribing and as a clinician, um, it's great for my health and well-being as well. Before, I've not been able to support these individuals. I've been banging my head against a brick wall, really trying to medicalise it or try and find an option for them. But now with these link workers, there's a person who can really help support them through that journey. So lots and lots and lots of benefits. Um, and social prescribing um, can help facilitate that integrated care with our community, which is what primary care networks are all about. So I think it's a really key role. Uh, to ensure the long-term plan and make sure that we really do embed it in our primary care networks. So you mentioned the te- so you mentioned social prescribing and link worker. Are they the same? Yes, yes. So social prescribing. Not, not many people haven't like don't like the term social prescribing because um, or social prescribe because it, it feels like you're prescribing or you're giving something to a, to an individual. So, so some people will refer to them as link workers. I, I don't have a preference either way. I think it's more about what they represent rather than the name but 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 nonetheless they're, they're one and the same are they clinicians they're 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 not clinicians largely um normally they're they're employees of the voluntary sector and so they'll have a whole heap of knowledge of the voluntary sector and what's available in their local community and so uh, ideally that's where they should be coming from so that they can then be able to support these individuals with non-medical issues when you reflect back, so you've said you've been doing it for four years, why do you, what did you do at the beginning and what do you continue to do to make, to embed those roles and embed that function? So I think we, we, were, we were quite fortunate in Merton. So we started off with two practices um, with a small pilot. We had one link worker and then we moved on to four practices, then nine and 13 and 22. And, and, it, and the, the network DES came at a quite a good time in our journey, actually, that we were ready for that next stage from pan-bower coverage. 
And so we took our time to, to embed it. We got it right. We listened to what was needed. Um, and, and, and that engagement is, is really, really key. So not racing on ahead and going, all right, I'm going to stick a link worker here and then we'll see what happens afterwards, which unfortunately happens with a lot of techniques or schemes. I think it's about working together um, and finding out what, what works as the group um, and, and fixing it as you go along. And that's what we found. And we've got some great videos, we've got some great research, uh, which shows just how it works. So I think that'd be my tip. Unfortunately, the networks don't have that luxury of four years. They've kind of got to do it now, haven't they? Um, but there is certainly some evidence there which can show you how to support it um, and how you can develop link workers in your network um, as one of the role reimbursement roles as well. So we should use them, certainly with 100% funding. Did you, do you employ, do you employ your link workers? So I, so I, I my role is via the, the old CCG, so the, the borough. So I still work for my local borough. Um, and so we started four years ago, and we offered the contracting through our voluntary sector on behalf of the practices. And so we, we've continued to do that arrangement. However, there's lots of other ways of doing it. Um, through federations, through networks themselves. I think now that networks are kind of off ground zero and they're, they're kind of sort of flying or they, they, they're, in, they're into year two, I think they've started to you know, understand how, how, how it can work and some of the other things that they're trying to get aligned in their, their, their work stream. So I think now networks can embrace it themselves uh, and they can have those relationships with their uh, voluntary sector, either with the help of the federation or, or other agencies, it, it really w- works for your area. So, talk me through a consultation. So, if I'm your patient and I say I am, my wrist really hurts, feeling a bit sad, feeling a bit low, and I'm having problems sleeping, and it's it's been going on for months. Talk me through. Who do I? I call up the receptionist. Then what happens? So, so, you, so, Tara, you would book an appointment to see a GP or a telephone consultation. What's happening at the moment? And I'll speak to you. I'll say, look, tell me about what's you know how I can help you. And you'd, you'd say, look, I'm feeling tired, not sleeping well. And then I'd explore that a bit more. And I'd say, look, what do you think's happening here? And you'd give me an answer. Um, and if if we we then decide that actually there's a, f- a few non-medical issues here, so I identified that you you know just lost your partner, or you just lost your job, or you're feeling quite stressed or there's things which I can't deal with because I'm a GP, then I might say, look, I've listened to what you have to say. We can, I can offer you some blood tests or investigations, but I'm not sure that's going to satisfy your needs. I think you need someone to really rummage around your Pandora's box and rummage around all your, your issues and really identify what, 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 what works for you. So we've got a link worker here who works at a practice um, and I'd like you to spend maybe a, about an hour with him talking to him about some of the concerns you may have um, and then let, let's see whether that gets you a solution which works for you how, how does that sound great <laughs> how long is that appointment so it can be up to an hour I keep saying an hour but it can be up to an hour so it depends you know you, you may uh, the model's changing a lot so pre-covid the first appointment would be up to an hour where they'd sit down they'd do the well-being score they'd do an assessment and then they would say, look, you've, you've identified that you have social issues, let's talk about that. Or you've identified you have housing issues, let's talk about that. Whereas now a lot of this is being done over the phone. So um, uh, there's sometimes quick triages, there's sometimes follow-up calls. So it all depends on, on what the need is of, of, of the client. So anything from 
you know, half an hour to an hour for your first appointment. And then follow-ups can be anything from, you know, 15 minutes to, to one hour. And follow-up appointments you can have maybe between two and, and, and six follow-ups. Again, depending on, you know, how much uh, intensity or requirements needed for the, for the patient. One thing um, that I just wanted to pick up on what you said was you said, well, I can't help you because I'm a GP. And I think that well, we're all patients that people listen to this. Will th- Some people may be surprised because they will think you can help me because you're a GP. And I know that I have seen firsthand networks that have kind of rejected their link worker because they don't think that they can help their patients and that the patient should go to them as the GP. What would you, what would you say to those people? Yeah. No, that, what would I say to them? So I, I think there's a, a few patients which, you know, need to see their GP and that's part of their therapy. I think what we're facing at the moment is, you know, general practice is struggling and healthcare is struggling. There's lots of patients. We're seeing too many patients where admin work is, we're getting overloaded. A lot of GPs are being burnt out. We haven't got enough GPs. And so is a GP the, the, the person who needs to be seen for every consultation? And I think it's being able to utilise your assets and utilise what your, your, your wider team to try and offload some of that work, not because to make it easy for the GP, but actually they're better suited to be able to solve uh, these problems. I mean, I, going back to that point, you know, if you came to me to talk to me about, you know, you have some problems about your housing benefits, um, and that you need some forms filled in. I, I, I'm not the best place for that. And I could sit there and go through your form view and you know spend 10 minutes trying to answer it. But actually, the best person to sort that out would be your link worker. So, so I think that that would be where I'd utilise them and say, look, that's what the real need is. It's actually some of that work which you get stuck trying to sort out. And actually, that's not your best place to do that. So I think those areas which have struggled with link workers, they may not have understood what they're meant to do with them. That may be because of their education or maybe they're not understood what's meant to happen or the maybe that the link worker they've had has not been able to support that or the, or the engagement's been poor so I, I would urge as networks who I suppose haven't tried to certainly try it um, and those which have tried and it hasn't quite worked is maybe try and give it another go and maybe try and get some support in how to make it work and more than happy to, to help with that there are local regional facilitators who are able to make that happen as well depending on where you are um, across the UK um, so I mentioned that I'm one of the um, nine, I'm, I'm one of the I'm person-centred care leads for Royal College of GPs for London. And there's seven regions across the UK and they all have a lead as well. So I'm, they'd be more than happy to, to pick up the phone or speak to you and, um, about social prescribing. So off air, we were talking that you have got a thriving and growing social media channel on Instagram. You, I've seen you out in the park. Are you running with your, are they your patients? Um, oh, the one where we're going for a walk. Yes. Yeah, so we, yeah. yeah, we've got a bit of a walking club. Um, and we've also got a track built in our local recreation centre, which is down the road from our practice. They're, they're patients, they're, they're clinical staff, actually. Um, so the one, yeah, so, so we have a mixture of patients and some staff activities to um, try and get some of the staff members together. Uh, we have a Fika Friday, which is on a Friday lunchtime, where we get all our staff coming together and we just sit down and talk about, you're not allowed to talk about anything medical. It's all about sort of health and well-being, outside work things as well. So so we have a mixture of, uh, of, of, of arrangements. So I know there'll be some people listening to this thinking, 
A, you either don't have any work to do, (laughs) that you can do this every Friday, or that why would you dedicate some time when general practice is so busy? What what do you say to them? Because it's absolutely, it's fantastic. Um, But it's sometimes hard to get a meeting, you know, that you actually need that meeting in your practice with people just so, you know, like back to back Microsoft Teams meetings at the moment. Why are you making time for the well-being aspect in your practice? Yeah, that's a good question. I think if you asked me, you know, a few years ago, I would have said the same thing. And a few years ago, I was almost burnt out and sitting there with my long list, trying to medicalize things and, you know, getting a headache as a result of it and actually you need to take a step back and actually who's best place to sort these issues out and these are some of these allied health professionals the link workers physiotherapists amps paramedics the whole lot and actually they're there to support a gp and that's allowed me to free up time to then spend more time with some of the complex patients as well i think we need to connect as well with some of our staff and actually you'll find some real common ground about patients if you don't speak to the nurse about patient Doris or you speak to receptionist about uh, a patient then you, you you miss out on some of those really subtle signs or some of those really vital clues which actually really help make your decision better some of the receptionists will tell me oh did you realize Doris is the dog's just died or you know Doris has just lost their son or and, and actually I wouldn't that wouldn't be something I would automatically ask but they forge relationships which gets passed on and that informal feedback and that informal information doesn't get passed over um, willy-nilly. It gets passed on by having these connecting events, going for um, health and wellbeing events with your staff, having a coffee catch-up um, and, and being able to make that happen. Um, and that's made our consultations much smoother uh, and much more effective. I think if you um, continuing to do long hours and try and take it all on yourself, it's too much. And so I, I, I would, uh, and again, talking about with patients as well, so I go for wellbeing walks with with the patients. We call it Wideway Walkers. It was a spin-off from uh, Game of Thrones, uh, the Night Walkers. We, we had the Wideway Walkers. We had the symbol. Yeah. Uh, and we used to walk around the block um, and we used to do different routes. And we had a cat, the local councillor, Joan Henry, who used to join us. And she used to take us in all different places, places I didn't even know existed. And so for me, I, I found all the nooks and crony, crannies in Pollard Hill and in, in Mitcham. Um, and it was fantastic. Really great way of connecting with the community, members of the, the, the people living around would see us walking around and say, oh, that's my GP. It, it, it was, it was, it, it's got lots of health and wellbeing effects. I didn't spend all my time walking around. It was, <laughs> it was probably for about, you know, once, once every two weeks for about half an hour. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, it helps um, add, add to um, some of our help. It's, yeah, it's, it's, re- it's really, really good. And I hope there are lots of practices listening. Did you do, did you start that before COVID? The walking club, uh, yes, was basically when end of Game of Thrones finished. So I think it was last March time, wasn't it? Um, and then the Fika Friday was last October. I, I went to a trip to Sweden, um, and which is where Fika Friday came. And I thought, this is a fabulous concept. You know, we just need to spend some time not talking about patients, just talking about connecting with your staff. And we actually really struggled for the first time we did it. We all sat around the table and we couldn't help you know we always wanted to talk about something around the work around our work relation but we picked up some real good stories about what people are doing in our own practice and it made it a more enjoyable sort of uh, place to work in so how do you spell that fika f-i-k-a fika friday okay i've got my marketing manager coming around tomorrow and i'm going to try it's really really good so 
What services do your social prescribing team, your link workers, where are they signposting patients to? Or what what is the main advice they're giving uh, to their patients? What trends are you seeing? Yeah, so that will depend on what their need is. So that could be things like housing um, benefits. So an example of a patient who was referred because he was feeling he had low mood, um, and the link worker identified that he was an he was he was entitled to getting an attendance allowance. Um, which was an extra £25 a week. So that ident- with that £25, he got himself a cleaner. He cleaned his house, found his dentures, which had dropped behind his sofa four months earlier. So it then helped him eat and you know, he was able to get a healthier uh, diet. They also cleaned his garden. Um, and so he was able to potter around the garden. He's, ha- he's partially blind as well. and managed to get him a job at the local vision centre as well. So these are sort of an example of that. Um, Another example is someone who was depressed. Um, we used to give him antidepressants, um, so uh, a medical certificates every time we saw him. The link worker identified, dug deep and identified he used to work as a chef and managed to get him a job at the local um, youth centre or the local community centre. Uh, he's now off his medication, off his antidepressants um, and is working in a cafe somewhere. I don't see him to practice at all. It's brilliant. Um, so these are some of the examples where they they just have those conversations where they find out what, what is it we need and having a non-medical background they don't then veer into that medical model of oh let's do a blood test or take the paracetamol or whatever they, they, they then stay away from that they actually then really listen to what is needed for this person before when when we've had link workers before well, before we had link workers um, we'd identify these patients and we'd say, look, go to Age UK or go, go to Citizens Advice Bureau. But as soon as the patient leaves the practice, you, you've lost them. They then start thinking of other things they need to do, like pick up their kids or go shopping or whatever. Having them in the practice means that they, they literally have to stumble past the link worker. You can say, look, I've got Ray who's next door. Why don't you spend you know, some time with him? And, and once it's been endorsed by the GPs, GPs have a very trusted profession, as you know, 95% of patients you know, trust it. Um, GPs and so if, if we say that actually that this is not a medical issue they're more likely to engage with that and having them under the same roof that activation is more likely to happen so it kind of then starts them on that on that right journey so um, I don't know if I answered your question there but, I, <laughs> but it certainly felt like yeah. yeah I think that it's based on the need so you don't have hundreds of patients coming to you that are all sleep deprived everybody's different when thinking about all the work that you've done in, well, I suppose in your career, what are you most proud of? I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm proud of a lot of things, I suppose. I'm or pleased, I should say. I mean, I'm really pleased about the way that we've connected with our community. And it's, it's, a, it's a massive, massive asset. And, and for me, I, I, I see magic happen. And it does sound like a cliche, but it is. You know, you see some of these patients doing stuff you've, you've never seen before. You never think it could be possible. And actually, we're looking for answers which are outside our remit and actually the, the real answer is right in front of us and actually you just need to go and search for it so you know an example would be the track um which we've managed to get uh, drawn on the local community center d- down the road um I've, you know i've had connections and conversations with my local council at the local housing department and we've talked about how can we help health and well-being can you just, just draw a track on the ground and so they've drawn a track on the ground 300 meters and so people are now walking around it as a gp i can say look don't well, try and join a gym if you can, but patients who've never been to a gym are not going to suddenly start going to a gym. So I say to them, look, go to the track, do four laps, three laps, two laps. And, and you can suddenly start seeing that, that little, little engagement piece like this can really make a difference in terms of health and well-being of patients um, in a specific area. 
So I work in a deprived part of Merton. And so you need to make sure that the solutions actually fit the, the person in, in front of you. So, I mean, that's one example. Um, I, I'm pleased with some of the results in the social prescribing um, work um, and some of the collaborative working as well. I mean, I, I'd say they're, they're kind of things I'm really pleased about. Why won't you use the term proud? Just not sure you get proud. I mean, it, you know, you're happy about them happening. Proud sort of makes me think that, you know, the job's finished, isn't it? I, okay. I, I, I don't think the job's finished. I think it's, it's just an enabler to make things, you know, spin off or, or kick off from that. So, you know, I'll be proud when I'm, you know, maybe 40 or 50 years down the line or whatever. But, but I, I'm, I'm pleased that we're, we're in the right journey and, and it, it's not the ending. And I think that's the beauty of it. You, you're just finding, there's so many new assets I'm finding every day, new conversations, new groups who are actually doing similar things, but they're not joined up. You join them up and you've got yourself a very strong and resilient community, which will then impact the health of our community. Then you'll start reducing that health inequalities. You'll start reducing that, that gap, which we talk about. So yeah, a lot of work ahead of us, but I think, you know, tackling it from where it matters for me is in the community. And, and we often try and medicalize it by, right, we need to get all the diabetics, make sure they do a diabetic check every year and we must, you know, give them funding for that. And, and that will sort everything out. No, 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 that, that will sort one aspect of it. We need to look at what really matters to communities. Population health will really help support that. Primary care networks addressing the need of their local population will help address that. Uh, and so I'm excited. So, yeah, hopefully we'll all be proud in a few years' time. And to other, I suppose my last question would be, to other GPs listening to you thinking, this sounds amazing, how do I free up some time to be able to do some of this stuff yeah good question i think it's identifying what matters to you um and and actually what's your interest and what do you find passion in i think if you find yourself um in a role where you're really struggling or hating it or, or you're not making head or tail of it then you know you're in the wrong playground um and actually you need to go somewhere where you're able to benefit you're able to add value and you find it exciting don't burn out um um, otherwise, it, you know, your career will be shortened. So I think finding that time is, is, is the tricky bit, isn't it? Right at the beginning, making that change, making yourself feel uncomfortable in the short term will make you feel comfortable later on down the line. Um, but one tip would be if, if you have a, if you're curious about something which you enjoy, um, make sure you grab it, find some mentors um, and, and, and speak to them. Um, uh, and, and, and that's how you, how you can find what really is your passion. Thank you so much. If people want to find out more about you, where can they go? Yep. So I'm on Twitter at Mohan Seagram and I'm on Instagram Doc Merton, at Doc Merton. I've just changed my name. So it's at Doc Merton. And yeah, they're, they're my two ways of finding me. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. so much for joining us if you like what you hear I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five star review I know many of you give us a shout out on social media which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast so please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care on Instagram and on LinkedIn just look for Tara Humphrey and if you're not subscribed to our newsletter please do you get to hear more insights more confessions some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week so click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.